One thing we don't talk about very much in our Christian churches is the idea of confession. Now, when some people say confession, many times they get the idea of the of the Catholic Church that you confess to the to the priest. But that's not what the Bible says about confession. The word confession in the, the Greek is homologeo, which basically and literally means to say the same thing. To say the same thing. To state a fact that is undeniably true. And that is the real meaning of confession. The pertinent question when it comes to faith is what Jesus asked to Peter when he said, Who do men say that I am? Well, I want to go back beyond what people say about Jesus to what God said about Jesus. And we find that uh, in the uh, 17th chapter of the book of Matthew, <clears throat> starting with verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up into a high mountain, by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became bright as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and said, Do not be afraid. And they, when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Here we have God's own confession, the statement of the undeniable fact the saying the same thing, saying the truth, that this is my beloved Son. And this isn't the first time that, Jesus, that God announced and proclaimed that undeniable fact. It happened again earlier at the baptism of Jesus when the, the, uh, John, uh, Jesus came to Jesus for, John, uh, for John's baptism. And uh, John forbade him. No, I'm not going to baptize you. I should be baptized by you. But Jesus said, permit it or allow it or do it. 
because this is, well, as the King James says, is to fulfill all righteousness. What that means is it was the right thing to do. Why was Jesus baptized? Why did he feel it was important that Jesus was baptized? It was simply the right thing to do. And the voice, that same voice came out of the cloud and said again, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Because what Jesus was doing was pleasing to God. It was the right thing to do. So we have two testimonies, the, the confessing of, of God Almighty himself, El Shaddai, the righteous one. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that's the real meaning to the, to the phrase of confession, to state an undeniable fact. Let's back up a little bit into the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Start with verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Peter's great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What was he really confessing? What was, G what was Peter saying? You are the Christ. The word Christ is a Greek word. It's a translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. And it is, you are the Christ. The Christ, the word Christ simply means the anointed one. Now, in the Hebrew religion, there were three different classes of people who were anointed. First of all, it was the prophets. And then it was the priests. And then it was the kings. And Jesus is all three. He is the prophet, the supreme prophet. He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. He is the subject of those prophecies. 
what was the message of those prophets? You know, some people say, well, a prophet is someone who predicts the future. But if you read in the Old Testament, future prognostication was very, a very minor, proportionately a very minor part of the message of the prophets. Most of their message was not about the future. Most of the message of the prophets to the people of Israel were about the past. And basically, you blew it. You blew it. Most of the message of the prophets was not about predicting. It was announcing to the people their own sin and calling them to repentance. Jesus was the prophet and he calls people to repentance today. He calls each one of us today and he is God's prophet. He is the fulfillment of all those prophecies. Yes, Isaiah prophesied the coming of the humble, defeated, humiliated servant of God. And Jesus fulfilled that. But Moses was a prophet too in his own way. All of the Old Testament laws, what we call the law of Moses, all of the rituals and all of the sacrifices were predictions, a shadowy foretelling of the fact that Jesus would come as the Messiah the, the anointed one, the prophet, the supreme prophet who would speak the message of God to the, to the world today. And all of those sacrifices were shadows, foreshadowing the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, the supreme cross, the, the supreme sacrifice, uh, the, 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 the center, center point of the whole Bible. You know, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Beginning to end, it's about Jesus. But the Bible begins, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John phrases it this way, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There we see Jesus in the very beginning, the very beginning of all everything. In the beginning was God. In the beginning God created. And that word God is in the Hebrew Elohim. And, and if you know anything, why should you? But, but if you know anything about the Hebrew, anything that ends in H-I-M is plural. Here's an indication of a plural God, a, a God who is one and yet is three. We went through this in, 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 in the book of Romans when we were studying it, that God is more than one, but he is one. The creed of, of Israel was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and yet he is plural. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the one in three. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. The very beginning, in the beginning, God, Elohim, 
And then you come back to the, to the, the very end, the other end of the Bible, and you come to the book of Revelation, and how does the Bible end? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The Bible is a book about Jesus from beginning to end. Jesus was confessed by Peter as, you are the Christ, you are the anointed, you are the prophet, but you're also the priest. Jesus, the, the prophet, was also the priest. The priest. A priest is someone who stands between man and God and intercedes between man and God. In the Old Testament, the, the high priest, the, the supreme high priest of Israel, was the one priest who was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was a, a, a prognostication, a prediction, a foreshadowing of even heaven itself, the dwelling place of God. The high priest of Israel, once a year, only once a year, would enter into that holy place and he would sprinkle the blood of the covenant on the mercy seat in, uh, in, the, in the innermost part of the temple. And that's a symbol of Christ entering into heaven itself and sitting at the right hand of God and offering his own blood in atonement for our sins. Jesus is our priest. But he's also, there's a, another meaning to that word anointed and that, that was the king. The kings of Israel were anointed, and Jesus is the anointed king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed. We've already seen where God has twice testified, this is my Son. And so Jesus is the, 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 the fulfillment. He's everything that Peter said so, said without really knowing what he said. You are the Christ. You are our, uh, our prophet. You are our uh, a priest, our sacrifice. You are our king. And, Jesus, and when Jesus said, God, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but God, my Father, revealed it to you. It's a revelation. It is a, uh, a, uh, uh, a confession, a statement of fact testified by God and, and borne out by the actions of Christ and Jesus upon the, 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 when he was here on the earth. Jesus did many things that only God could do. He stilled the lake, that word. He raised the dead. He forgave sins. And no one but God could do that. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, 
Now that needs some interpretation because just what is Jesus saying? On this rock I will build my church. You are Peter. The word Peter means rock. But, and this is a big but, the word Peter in the Greek is Petros with an O, and that's masculine. And when it says you are Peter the rock, he's not talking about bedrock. He is talking about a building stone, a rock. And with that rock, Peter, Jesus will build his church. Because when he says on this rock, he uses a different word. Not Petros with an O, he uses Petras with an A. Upon this rock, the, the rock, this rock, this Petras with the A, is the rock upon which I will build my church. Now, what is that rock? If you look in your Bibles, in the first, uh, first uh, Corinthian letter, 1 Corinthians 3.16, you will find out exactly what that rock is. It says this, Other foundation can no man lay than that which is, built, is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built, not Peter. That is the foundation. Then Jesus goes on. He says, I will give to you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now that kind of gave me some problems for a while. But I have in my library a beat-up old volume. It's called an analytical Greek lexicon of the, New, of the New Testament. Analytic means it analyzes every word, every noun, every verb, every adjective, every preposition, every word in the Bible. It analyzes and breaks it down. And when I was translating in, in, in my own version of the own translation of the Bible, when I came to that phrase, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on earth, uh, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, I was shocked. I was raised with the old 16th, uh, 1600s version of the King James Bible. And it says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Now that sounds to me like Peter and the apostles were making the rules and God is rubber stamping them. But when I analyze it down, there's another version, another way of translating that. Instead of whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, that puts it into the future the decisions are made in the future as the apostles announce it. That's not what it, the, 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 it's not the only meaning. It is there's another, and I don't mean to get too technical about this, but it's a past perfect participle, and it means whatever you bind on earth will be that which has been bound in heaven. It's the, the decisions are already made. 
and they're made in heaven. They are made in eternity before the foundations of the world. All of this, these decisions were already made. All of these requirements, all of these statements, all of these facts were already established before the foundations of the world. And the, the apostles were simply called upon to announce what had already been decided. Whatever you bind on earth will be that which has already been bound in heaven. And it's a perfectly valid translation. And it makes a lot more sense that the apostles are announcing the eternal decrees of God than it does to, to, to take it the other way and say that the apostles are making the rules and God's rubber stamping them. The decisions are already made. It's interesting, at least I find it interesting, that to see Jesus is speaking primarily here to, to Peter. Uh, you are the rock. Upon this rock I will build my church. And, and uh, uh, you get to be old like I am. You, you kind of slip once in a while. <laughs> you slip a gear. Uh, Peter, he, Jesus is speaking to Peter here in the, the 16th chapter of, of Matthew. But if you go back just a few more verses, you'll find an identical verse in the 18th chapter. In the 18th verse, Jesus says the same thing, only this time he's saying it to all the apostles. It's not just Peter who is to announce the God, this gospel. It is all the apostles. It is the, 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 the message of God given to his disciples, to his apostles, and they have recorded it for us in the New Testament. And so we now have in our Bibles the testimony of the apostles. And Jesus, when he asked Peter, that he, Peter said, or Jesus said, well, who do men say that I am? Peter said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, and some say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. You know, Peter, if we want to back up a little bit to, to that transfiguration scene, Peter kind of missed the boat. Because when he saw Moses and Elijah and, and Jesus talking on that Mount of Transfiguration, his, his immediate res, uh, response was, Lord, it's good to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. In effect, he was, say, he was putting Jesus on the same basis as Moses and Elijah. We'll make three, temp, uh, three tabernacles, three identical tabernacles, because, well, as a Jew, he would reverence Moses. He would certainly respect Elijah, and now here's Jesus, and so we'll make three temples, three tabernacles, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But what did God say? That cloud came upon them, and the voice of God himself said, This, and that's emphatic, this is my beloved Son. 
hear him. Emphasis again. Jesus is not equal. Jesus is the subject of Moses. We've already seen that the Mosaic law is, is just full of, of prophecies of Jesus. The, uh, the prophecy of, of Elijah is all about Jesus, but Jesus is the subject of the. And God says, not Moses, not Elijah, hear him. Because he is the message. He is the fact of Bible history. What do you say? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He's the prophet speaking God's message. He is God's message. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the message, the Word. Jesus is our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our Savior. By being our, sa our priest and our sacrifice, he becomes our Savior. You know, there are two words used repeatedly in the Bible about Jesus. One is Savior, and the other is Lord. And it may surprise you to learn that in the book of Acts, Jesus is called Savior twice. But he is called Lord 70 times. In the whole New Testament, Jesus is called Savior 20 times. But he is called Lord 700 times. Where, is, where do you suppose the emphasis that we like to think about Jesus as our Savior? But once we accept Jesus as our Savior, then we have to also accept the fact that he is our Lord. We in the United States are somewhat handicapped because we don't have much dealing with lords and kings. A lord, a lord is simply a master. In the Greek, it's kurios. A kurios is a master who owns slaves. He, he owns, he possesses, he controls those slaves. Everything that they have belongs to the master. He is the lord. And Jesus is Lord. In the early church, they, they, they had a, I guess you would call it a watch phrase. When I was in the army and walking guard, we, uh, you'd be out on your post. And anytime somebody came up, you were to see a halt who goes there. And, and then you would have them advance and be recognized. And then you would give them a password, or that you would state a password. And the password was to be responded with another word, a sign and a cosign, a, 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 an indication of, of, of a response that, you know, you, you know the secrets. If a man, man were to join the Masonic Lodge, he would be given certain words 
and certain signs so he could be recognized by other Masons as a brother Mason. Christians were given a watchword. In the early church, that watchword, now how, forgive me in this, it wasn't Emmanuel. <laughs> it was Jesus is Lord. And that was the watchword by which one Christian would know another. Not only by the saying it, but by the living it. That Jesus is Lord. He is the master. He is the ruler. He is the possessor of me. Now, if Jesus is my Lord, what does that make me? The Greek word is doulos, which is sometimes translated servant. But a better translation is slave. With American history being what it is, we don't like that word slave. We don't like being slave to anyone. But we are called, when we acknowledge Jesus is Lord, we are also acknowledging our own slavery. That we are Jesus' possession. We belong to him. When Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Jesus said, you are the Christ. You are the anointed of God. You are the, the prophet. You are the priest. You are king, Lord, possessor. Someone put it this way. Jesus must be Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. When we become Christ's possession, all of us, we, all of our being belongs to him. When we're baptized up here, we are, our, our entire body our entire being is buried with Christ. We're buried, in, we're, we're baptized into his death and raised to walk in a new life. We are his possession. And we are called, we are called to bear witness to that fact. We are called to make that confession, that statement of the fact. The statement of the fact is simply this, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If you never made that confession, you really need to. I want to close with one passage of Scripture. And this is found in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you never made that confession, you really need to do so. And we're going to give you the opportunity this morning, if you've never named, never confessed that Jesus is Lord of my life, we'll give you that opportunity. I'm going to ask the elders to come up here and stand and, and be here to receive that confession if you want to make it at this time. And so, if you would, if you want to make that confession, we'll give you the opportunity this morning. We will state as a fact. Jesus, Peter said, he didn't say, I think you're the Lord. He didn't say, I think you're the Messiah. I don't think you are the Christ. He said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the prophet, the priest, the king, the ruler of everything. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this clear and effective statement that we believe and we confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God and our Savior, our Master, our Lord. We confess that Jesus is my Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.